The Bible talks about weapons that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And we see, and I, I, I can't teach on it, but we see that in the Old Testament, there are key moments where Israel is moving to take over terrain and land. And one of them involved uh, a cursing. They come up specifically against witchcraft and a false prophet was called to curse them. And he said, I cannot curse them. I cannot curse these people because the shout of the king is in their midst. The shout of the king. A shout of the king. A shout of the king. Listen. Oppression is not driven back by our hopes and dreams. They're not driven back by our nice ceremonies and our pretty tunes. They're driven back by the explosion of faith. By the explosion of spiritual sound that comes from faith. The shout of the king. The shout of the king. The shout of the king breaks the yoke. It breaks the yoke. It breaks the yoke. It breaks the yoke. Break. 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 In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's sing this with faith today. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess at the name of Jesus. Awake my soul. Father, we contend for your church today that you would awaken your church. That deep within your church would begin to stir the sound of destiny, the sound of purpose, the sound of divine intention that you planted in her before the foundations of the earth. Oh God, awake church. Awake, oh church of God. Awake, awake, awake. You know, it's not by accident that the imagery that has been used historically, both in fables and in stories and in scripture, has to do with sleep and awakeness, has to do with summer and winter. These imageries have to do with the conditions, the state of being that we're called to versus that which the enemy would induce upon upon us. And the challenge is to be awake in the moment when Jesus is about to return the virgins are asleep and they have to be awoken 
The battle is always about this, a dullness that comes over us that keeps us from realizing the urgency of the moment. Not only the urgency, but what is potentially possible if we would grab a hold of those things that he's already given us and step into that lane for which we were destined So, Father, we pray, God, that here in Spruce Grove, uh, an atmosphere would exist that keeps us alert. Father, that that slumbering presence that would cause our eyelids to be heavy, our spirits to become dull, and us to become unaware of, Father, that it would not prevail in this region, in this church, in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. You know, there's a scripture in the Old Testament where God says, uh, listen, I want you to be a people of understanding. I don't want you to be like the mule. The mule doesn't understand very much language. They can learn a couple of words maybe. But essentially they're pulled around by force. We put a bit in their mouth and we yank them one way or another. And God is bemoaning the fact that many times his people are like that. They don't understand purpose. They don't understand his heart. So they have to be navigated by nudges, tension, pressure. What God is longing for is a people who live in a current awareness of what it is he desires, what it is he prefers, what it is he loves, and who voluntarily adapt themselves to those things. And the promise is that a generation will come who are completely attuned to him who don't need to be bribed, who don't need to be nudged, who don't need to be pushed by invisible pressures to do the right thing, that they are in sync with him like no other generation. And of every generation that has been alive, this generation resembles that more than any other generation as a whole. But still, we're called to press toward the mark of the high calling to apprehend something that no other generation has apprehended. We live in a privileged moment to be born in such a time as this, to be surrounded by so much light, so much revelation, so much understanding, but with great purpose and great opportunity comes great responsibility. So we dare not squander the moments that we have. Father, help us make the most of the day and the hour in which we live, we pray. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So on my way to church this morning, I was thinking about the fast, I'm thinking about the moment we're in, I'm thinking about uh, what I call overriding concepts or principles of the kingdom of God, and uh, there's so many ways you can look at what it is we're contending for, 
But one of the things we're contending for is a, is a clarity, is an atmosphere where spiritual truths are not fogged up, they're not obscured, they're not difficult to discern, but they are, they are poured out, they are evident, they are self-evident. And that's the, that's the nature of the atmosphere in heaven. The, nat- the atmosphere of heaven is rife with the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is a commodity that creates atmosphere. It's kind of like the earth, you know, there's the air, the atmosphere that's generated by trees, you know, as trees consume carbon dioxide and release oxygen, it helps create atmosphere. And atmosphere then transfers and creates the potential for life. And so God is bringing a kingdom to the earth and how is he manifesting that kingdom? It begins with an atmosphere. And that atmosphere at the core, the central feature of that atmosphere is what the Bible calls the knowledge of God, the knowledge of him. The knowledge of God is resurrection life. The knowledge of God is the air that we breathe. It is what causes us to be awake. It is what causes us to be aware It is what gives us a heightened sense of what is important. The knowledge of God. That's why, and again, uh, I'm going to cut to the quick on a couple of things today, so I'm not going to go through all the scriptures, but you should do a study. If you haven't already, you should do this. Look up every time in the Bible, in the New Testament, that the knowledge of God is recorded. You know, it says uh, the final thing, the final stage of this thing called the kingdom of God is that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so this is the quest that we are on. We are participating in changing the atmospheric conditions of the earth from light to darkness, but more importantly, the, more specifically rather, from the, the absence of the knowledge of God till the knowledge of God fills the earth. So that, and that's what we're hopefully starting with right here. That's what we're contending for on Sunday. If you didn't know the main thing that we're contending for, we're not making a nice program for you to enjoy. That's not what we're doing. If it happens to be nice, that's great. But that's not what we're after. You know, singing in tune, that's a wonderful thing. Right, singing songs that are compelling and wonderful and life-giving, that's great. But those things are secondary to one thing, creating an atmosphere that causes us to see more clearly, that causes us to maybe come in with a level of slumber, a level of dullness, and suddenly we begin to snap to grid. Suddenly we begin to awake, oh, hallelujah, the presence of God is here. Because essentially what we are is a portal. We are a window to heaven so that the atmosphere that's in heaven can come to the earth. And that's why we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the core essential purpose of our lives is to manifest heaven on earth. And so what God has given you as an individual is an ability to do that, to manifest heaven on earth. And everything... Everything else that the enemy brings, everything that the kingdom of darkness is designed to do is to shut down your ability not to do the right thing, not to go to church, not to lift your hands. You can do all of that so long as it's not done in such a way that releases another atmosphere. 
devil doesn't care if you go to church. Does, the devil doesn't care if you sing the right theologically correct songs. So long as there's no worship in spirit and in truth. So that that vapor of life does not permeate the air. That's what he's fighting against. And so there's this, there is this presence that comes. In fact, the Bible says that, that uh, the warfare of the enemy, it rises is up against the knowledge of God. Did you know that? I think that's in the Bible somewhere. 2 Corinthians 10 says this. It says, oh, so many good verses. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing into captivity every thought or bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now that last part's it's about the Corinthians and something that's happened. They're going awry. They're tolerating certain manipulative people that are operating in an antichrist spirit, that are operating in a selfish spirit. So Paul has said, listen, uh, what I have is designed to bring order. It is designed to bring the kingdom. And I, I, I don't use it recklessly, but I will use it. And so there is a, there is a power that brings the earth into alignment. And that's what God is trying to train us in. The fundamental thing, what, what, is it, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be made alive and to release that life increasingly so that the world around us comes into conformity with that life, such is the power of God. What we do as a church is the same thing. We worship to change the atmosphere so that what, that air that's in here that atmosphere that's in here can go out to the world. Imagine this. I want you to picture this. I want you to picture the whole earth. Right? The whole earth. And uh, global warming. Global warming fills the whole earth. But what God has done, like, oh, we don't want to get too hot. So we're going to create spiritual air conditioners all around the world. Little units called spiritual air conditioners. That, that will put a little air conditioner inside of every single one, every single person. And what happens is when, whenever you are, you're always, always releasing that atmosphere. But then when you come together, then you collectively are releasing that atmosphere and you're, you're, you're igniting those who didn't know they had an atmosphere changer. And eventually he's saying, listen, there's, there's going to be enough life, enough atmosphere coming out of you that it will change the condition of the atmosphere of the entire earth. It's not about cold and hot. It's just an analogy. It's about life. Life, life, life. So, Father, I pray today, this morning, that, God, that you would drop lines, that you would drop plumb lines in this room. And Father, you would uh, organize and orient our faith, our journey around the things that are most significant to you. 
Father, I pray for a spirit of revelation so we see not just what is biblical, not just what is theologically correct, but what is most important to you. In Jesus' name. Now, man, so many ways I could go here. But the, the you know, the problem with the, the religious Pharisees, and Jesus said this to them, he says, listen, you guys, your problem is you major on minors. And he said, you tithe of this and this and this. And he says, these things you ought to have done. I'm not saying don't do those. But the weightier things, the more important things you don't do. Right? And that's what happens to us. That is the... That is the scenario we are faced up against all the time. We, we, the easier things to do, the simpler things, the visible things are the easiest to do, right? It's like coming here, like, oh, this is a church where they raise their hands. Okay, I'm going to raise my hands, but the question is, well, that's great. That's a great start, but are you actually worshiping in spirit and truth? The, the, the easier visible things are not the most important necessarily, so there is a hierarchy of purposeful things that God is trying to bring us in. He, and he wants us to focus on the most important. And the religious community of his day did not focus on the most important. So what's the most important? Thanks, Ben. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I, I, I like it when people respond as though we're talking. This is good. Right, Brian? Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amen. So <laughs> we we are we are coming to the place where God God is training us to release an atmosphere, an aroma of Christ he calls in another place. And so uh Father I pray, Lord, that uh that God, we would uh, we would be single-minded in doing this. We would be single-minded in what it is we're after today in Jesus' name. Now, I don't have that much time, so I'm going to kind of focus in on what was happening this morning for me. On my way here, I was feeling like, actually, I was feeling like I was uh, being invaded. Uh, and it's been that way for about a, a week and a half. It feels like, we're up against something, and it's a, it's a dullness. It's a, it's bringing a, a lack of clarity. And I remember some years ago when we did a lot more teaching on some of these things, because we were in a position to do that a few years ago. But how many of you know your role, your position, what you're prepared for goes up and down in the kingdom of God? And sometimes when God is, you know, sometimes God is the one who takes you offline. He takes you off from the front lines because he wants to deal with something inside of you. He wants to heal a wound or he wants to bring some correction. So he takes you to a place where you're not on the front lines. But we as a church are called to be on the front lines. This is meant to be a governmental church. This is meant to be an atmosphere-changing body. This is the prophetic destiny of this church since its inception, since the earliest days when God sent prophets and men of God through this place. They testified again and again and again and again and again. And I was, so I came and I, as a visiting speaker and I said the same thing. And I said it this way. This is not a normal church. This is not a church where you get to do what you want, where what you fancy, what you prefer, what your style is, what your favorite song is, doesn't matter. 
because God is trying to make this place an apostolic house for the release of a pulse of glory that will go in every direction, that will be a tormentor of the kingdom of darkness. This is what we're called to. And that means explosions of glory. God wants explosions of glory here in this place. Yeah. Can you feel that? And so the question is, uh, how, how do, not only how do we do that, but how do we overcome an enemy that's keeping us from doing that? What is his strategy? The Bible says, says well, Paul said it anyway. He said, he said, we are not ignorant of the enemy's devices. We are not ignorant. And one of the main ones is this, is that God resists the proud. This is one of the overriding kingdom principles, and Satan knows this, that God resists the proud. There are certain things, even when it's God's people, when they're called to do things in a certain direction, he knows that if they engage in this stuff over here, there's an assortment of them, that God will begin to judge them, and then suddenly they won't be able to do the thing that they're called to do. So he doesn't have to try to war against God. He's just trying to war against the agencies of God that are supposed to perform a particular service. And so in, in, uh, in the time of Israel's exodus, as they came in uh, to uh, the land where Balaam and Balak were, uh, the prophet Balaam says to the king Balak, he says, uh, you know, I can't curse them, but here, let me tell you this. If they do this and this and this, God will be against them. And so what we need to do then was uh, you just need to get them to do these things. And so it had to do with engaging in sexual immorality and some other things like that. So what the, he employs the same task today. The same, the same battle is going on today. He knows that God resists the proud. God resists the proud. Doesn't matter if you pray in tongues. Doesn't matter if you go to a charismatic church. Doesn't matter if you have impeccable theology. God resists the proud. He has to deal with pride. Pride is a defiling, and uh, it's it's kind of like uh, what uh, oh, what's that stuff you put in bread? Yeast. It's kind of like yeast does it. It it causes it causes a transformation of that. It makes that unusual. God wants unleavened bread, so it cannot have yeast in it. Now that's just a picture. God's not actually against leavened bread. Go ahead, unless you're gluten intolerant. You know, go ahead, eat bread. <laughs> Love bread. But the point is, there are certain things that God cannot tolerate. They're they're just the antithesis of what he is about. And so the construct of his kingdom, how he's created advancement in the kingdom of God requires more than anything that we we, uh, are cleansed from pride. Pride is the greatest enemy of the soul of the Christian. It's what caused Lucifer to be cast out of heaven. So he knows very well, he knows very well how to make a Christian fall. So he works doubly hard to get us to fail in that regard. So 
with that in mind, I had a picture coming here today, and it had to do with a bunch of geese, a bunch of geese flying in the air. And I was, I was trying to figure out, okay, it doesn't seem like much of a message, but I saw geese flying in the air, and I, I've heard dozens and dozens of stories about geese, their formation, etc. And the essential idea is this, is that the front goose uh, makes a way for all of the others. So in the goose world, in the geese world, they, they switch back and forth, you know, when, when the front goose gets tired, then he moves back or she moves back. I don't know if it's minimum, I don't know if it's sexist. I, I, he, she, I don't know. How, somebody should look at that. But the point is, the point is that the front goose takes on the headwind and all the other geese understand that. See, in the, in the geese world, they're not deceived about, you know, who's playing what part. You know, the, there's a certain scenario that unfolds in the church and in the natural world with us that the geese don't struggle with. They just understand that the guy at front is doing something. He's providing a service. The strongest geese are at the front because they take those headwinds and they begin to open a way for all the others. Now, if geese were like us, <laughs> they wouldn't have, first of all, they wouldn't have that orientation. They wouldn't understand that. They wouldn't understand that the resistance against the geese in front is so great that that's the reason why they're in the third, fourth, fifth, tenth row. Because they cannot handle the weight and the pressure of being there. But let's say the geese were like us. And you got a goose there in the back, and he's all of that. He's wearing skinny jeans, and he's, he's, he's uh, you know... His, his, world, his world is made up of a priority of looking good. <laughs> Everything's about style. Everything's about persona. Everything is about, you know, doing things in, in the moment. So, so you could just see him back there. He's at the back and say, and say, hey, hey, watch this. And he starts to move his wing in a certain way. And all the female geese are, Look at the moves on that goose. You know, and maybe he's doing pirouettes in the air and, you know, and just, just smooth. He's smooth. He's debonair. He's, he's graceful. And that little flick at the end, like, do you see how I do that? And, yeah, yeah. You know, when it comes to flying, you can see him pompously sharing about the significant attributes that he carries. Yeah, 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 my, my wings are the oiliest. See that white? There's no brighter in this whole company. And, and who can flick a wing like me? You know, they, really, this is the kind of leader you want is, you know, what do you want? I mean, you want this skinny jeans on top of things or do you want that guy up there awkwardly making his way at the front of the gist, You know, I, I don't know what, it, who, who made him the boss anyway? And so you, you get these subcultures within the geese family that revolve around less significant but very tantalizing attributes. <laughs> right? Because, you know, the young geese girls are easily impressed. And the young geese boys are, oh, he's so cool. But the, here's, here's the basic scenario. Ultimately, what this really is about is not style. 
This is not really about style. We are traveling. We are going from point A to point B. The, the, the highest priority in our journey is getting there. How you do it, you know, whether you have the best form in the air, who cares? I mean, it's nice to look at, but at the end of the day, what matters when you start to prioritize goals and purposes, what matters is the senior most one. And in the geese world, enabling that, that bunch to get to the front is the most important. Father, give us a revelation today, I pray in Jesus' name. See, the enemy creates division by creating subcultures, and subcultures are uh, built around values, about where suddenly people begin, begin to value different things. You know, you got the, uh, what are those guys that, uh, words got out of my mind, you know, in our culture, you got those guys, uh, you got the headbangers, you got the druggies, you got the athletes, you've got the people that always wear black. What are those guys? Oh, the goths, yeah, you know. For them, it's like, is the blacker the better? Dark eyes, shadow, spiky hair, whatever, black leather clothes, you know. I mean, you know, this is the value system. And so you are measured by this. If you're not doing this, then you're, you're not only on your the outside, but you're a suspect. And so God is trying to bring us to a place of the unity of the knowledge of God. A place where we prioritize the things that he prioritizes. And skinny jeans is not the, first, the highest one. <laughs> Though, these are pretty skinny at the bottom. Yeah? I mean, there's nothing wrong with what, wearing stylish clothes, but dismissing people on the basis of the kind of clothes they wear is not the culture that we're trying to create. Now, in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God, people that we don't know are carrying weight, are providing us service we cannot quantify. And until you feel the wind in your face, you don't realize what that front goose is doing for you. Father, I just pray today, God, in Jesus' name, you give us a revelation of why you've told us to honor fathers and mothers. One of the commandments of God says, honor your father and your mother. And there's a spiritual equivalent that says, honor spiritual fathers and mothers because they, they guard over your souls. They do things for you that you don't know they're doing that cause you to even exist. You owe your life to people who are doing things you didn't even know they were doing. But if you don't know that that's happening and you, if you don't regard the commandment of God, then it opens a door for dishonor to begin to come in because you start to orient over different priorities. So this morning in the prayer room, um, Bernice began to pray and she basically said this. I'm going to paraphrase her prayer, but it was great because it, it was in, in, in sync with my goose picture. I was sitting all the way coming here. 
And she says, she said this essentially. She said, I, you know, I've, I've prayed my whole life that I would become a, a lightning rod. And so uh, she said, you know, and I've wanted to be a lightning rod. But the truth is, I didn't know what a lightning rod did. It just, you know, it's just this language we pick up, right? Like, oh, I want to be a lightning rod. And basically, I think when we say that, and there's nothing wrong with praying that or saying that, but we, we feel like it's like a point of energy, a point of the release of the power. But really, a lightning rod is the opposite. It, 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 takes, it takes hits for the house. When you put a lightning rod on the house, you take a hit so that the house is not destroyed. And so she began to pray in a kind of a humble repentance that, you know, Moses was a leader over the nation of Israel, but what that means is he was a lightning rod. That it means he had, he attracted all of the opposition. He attracted all of the hits. And so she was kind of confessing, praying, and not necessarily giving up on the idea because it is what leadership is about. Leadership is not about calling all the shots. It's not about being in charge. It's about taking the hits so that others who can't handle them don't have to take them. That's what leadership is really about. But, you know, when you're a young man or a young woman and you look at people in charge and you you got parents and you don't like having to go to bed early or reading this or going to school, it's like, I just can't wait till I'm old and I get to do what I want. Guess what? If you don't do what they said when you're old, you don't get to do what you want. Because then you're working in a dead-end job, unmarried and pregnant with your fourth child. <laughs> right? I mean, the circumstances you end up coming into do not align themselves to freedom. They actually result in the opposite. So that's why kids tend to, you know, increasingly, as they get older, they start to realize, boy, my parents aren't as lame as I thought they were. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right? It's somebody... But there's, there's this idea that might, you know, when you're a teenager and you don't have any responsibilities and you don't have any bills and you resent having to make your bed or whatever it is your parents telling you to do, it's like, oh, I'm so hard done by. But eventually when you start to grow up and have responsibility, you still go out there and you say, well, utility bill, what's that? Right? Well, you mean the uh, internet's not free here? <laughs> Who's going to pay for my cell phone? What? There's no Christmas vacations at this job? When I was in school, I used to get two weeks off. And how many days? One day? Come on! You know, all everything starts to change when you're an adult. And then when you start to have kids, oh my goodness. Kids. Kids are the loss of your life. Kids is where you lose all your autonomy, all your freedom, all your rights. And so, you know, but out of love, you invest yourself in this task of raising kids. Then they become teenagers and start to look down their nose at you because you're not wearing the right pants. (laughs) Or you might be a few pounds overweight. 
Why does God resist the proud? Because there's blind arrogance in the proud that keep them from seeing how the whole world has made it possible for them to not only exist, but get where they are today, and they have the audacity to begin to tell others that they should be in charge when they don't have a clue. Well, it's true in the natural. It's more true in the spirit. Because at least, at least at some point... You start to face, it's easy to get to the place where you have to face some responsibility in your natural life. But spiritually, there is a capacity to be irresponsible till the day you die. To never come into any place where you're bearing weight. It's possible for you to be born again, be a Christian, and never come to a place, participate as a a drop-in Christian to scenarios and Christian parties and decide, well, I'm going to go to this church this Sunday and that church. Well, they got really good worship, so I'm going to go there and let them bless me. I mean, you can live your whole life as a Christian entirely irresponsible because everything is being done for you. And then how ripe are you for that voice to come along and say, how come they don't ever give you authority? Why aren't you an elder? Why aren't you? You know, if you were a pastor, look at at that pastor. He doesn't even wear skinny jeans. And I'm using that as an example only because I heard this guy talk about a leader, a senior leader, and his, he commended him not for his humility. He commended him not for his love. He commended him not for his authority. He commended him not for his experience and his sacrifice, but for his skinny jeans. And I thought, what kind of cultural priority is that? That people who are laying down their lives so we can even breathe are being measured by these immaterial values. And we can do it with a bold face. How How can that happen? Because of the absence of the knowledge of the glory of God that causes things to be obscure. God is wanting to change that. He's wanting to get us to believe that maybe there's more to this that's, that, than, than we know. And so for me, he did this wonderful thing early in my life through that scripture in Psalms, and I didn't look it up because I wasn't planning on sharing. I think it's 75. It says, promotion comes from above. Promotion comes from above. That was such a profound platform for my heart because every time I thought I deserved something God wasn't giving to me, I I couldn't blame the agencies of men for not giving it to me. I knew God is the one who promotes. Even if I even if it wasn't obvious to me in my heart, I kept going back to that. Well, you know, yeah, I may think I'd make a better leader than that guy. I may think that I prophesy better than that guy. My insight is more, is more valued. I may think that I do this other thing decently and well. But God knows. He absolutely knows. And if promotion comes from him, I never have to wonder why God put that guy in charge. And I don't have to ever tear him down. Now, I know there's a whole, I hear it, I feel it in the room. There's a whole justification for dishonor because, you know, there's people that are doing it wrong. We'll deal with that some other time. 
But here's, here's, the, here's the beautiful thing, is that when I honored correctly, and I was in lots of situations where people were making, in my mind, dire errors, and yet God kept bringing me back to that place. It doesn't matter right now. Why? Because... Because God knows the order of most important things, and humility and honor is at the highest. And he, well, he's trying to, he was trying to keep me from dishonoring leaders, but I had to have, that's not a temptation if they're perfect. <laughs> right? It's not a temptation if they're doing everything as I think they should do. They have to be doing things differently, and in my mind, wrong, and yet God still say, no, I want you to stay in this line. Well, what's the point? They're wrong. They're, they're not as good as dance as me. They can't sing. They don't prophesy. Yeah, you got your little list of things that are most important. Mine starts with humility. Mine starts with honor. Because the reason I ask you to honor mothers and fathers is because they do things for you you can't even see. That are more important than that little flick of your, your wing. Look how graceful I am. Look at that little inflection I have when I speak. Oh, I pray. I pray like an orator. I pray like, you know, who's that, uh, uh, that great author? William Shakespeare. I pray like William Shakespeare wished he prayed. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Favor and authority. We love people that, you know, say things in an eloquent and beautiful way. But if there's no spiritual authority, if it doesn't capture the heart of God... I mean, uh, who knows what Samuel prayed like? Who knows whether he was clean? Who knows how great his vocabulary was? But the point is God listened to him when he prayed. Why? Because he possessed the most important characteristics. A deep alignment with the heart of the Father. So God is trying to bring us to a place of humility and honor. Where we imagine we live in a world where we don't know everything. <laughs> How hard is that? The benefit of the doubt. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Father, I, I just pray, and the reason why we're sharing these kinds of things is not only to impart principles, but to impart a sense of serious around the gravity of dishonor. I mean, it's not by accident that Jesus or God articulated in the Ten Commandments, you shall honor your father and your mother. Why? Well, well my father and my mother, they're boring. They don't, they don't listen to the right music, and they're not exciting, and they're in bed by 8.30. <laughs> okay, nine. But here's the thing. We only see so far, and I think I shared this a few weeks ago, but when it comes to incredible gifting, take the sports world, it's easy for you to see that a guy can throw um, a stone or throw a spear further than the next guy. But there are certain attributes, certain abilities, certain strengths, certain skills 
that you cannot see because you just don't have the depth, the capacity to discern. And I was sharing, I think, about the idea of plumbers. You know, have we got any plumbers in the house? Hey, you know, everybody, you ask somebody, hey, do you know a good plumber? And everybody knows a good plumber. What a, a good plumber is the last guy that came and unplugged my sink. But you stack all the plumbers one next to each other, and they're not all the same, but they can probably all unplug sinks. What, what am I saying is there's a certain capacity and quality of troubleshooting and discerning problems and fixing them at a low cost that some do effectively and much better than others. But if you don't know anything about plumbing, chances are you can't pick out that guy by asking him a couple questions. But if you know, if you are a plumbing expert, a little conversation with these guys, and you'll know that they're not the same. All high levels. I mean, you, you may think, oh, Jim's pretty smart, right? But you, I got a friend who knows HTML, so he also is a programmer, so they're the same. <laughs> Except they're not. There's worlds apart. God has purposely not allow you to see certain things so that honor is a choice, so that submission is a choice, so that humility doesn't come easy. I'm going to close here right away. But we want to stop doing superficial judgments. We want to stop castigating, throwing darts and, at people in our lives who we think aren't doing enough for us, beginning with our parents, beginning with leaders, beginning with people in your employment situation. Here's the thing. Is it, if you are destined for great things, God is going to put you there. But you are going through a series of tests, the most important of which is this one. Can you honor? Can you honor? Can you honor? The ability to love is the most underrated quality a person can have. And we, we grow up in families and we've got mom and dads that have spent their lives, their lives, making a way for us. And yet we find it so easy to dismiss their contributions and their importance to our life until we desperately need them. Father, forgive us, I pray. God, I pray that you would give us a capacity to honor. Lord, a capacity to not be blinded by the weaknesses and the particular failings of people in our lives, but God, the ability to see and to know that things are being done for us beyond our understanding. God, I pray, Lord, you would forgive us for every word of judgment, every arrow we have slung, every stone we have thrown, every judgment, every criticism, Father, that has resulted in a failure and a brokenness on us, and we haven't put the pieces together. We haven't connected the dots. I believe, I believe more than anything, 
There are, th- there are things we can do as a church that will make us immune to the kingdom of darkness. There are things we can do that can cause us to be insulated in a canopy of light, completely immune to the powers of principalities that are in the air. We can be completely free if we do these simple things. Honor. Shut our mouths. Keep our opinions to ourselves. (sighs) And just try to be faithful until God makes us the leader. Until God makes us the mom and the dad. Let me just repeat it. It's amazing to me watching adult children as they're coming to parenting themselves, how much they begin to regard their parents in ways they didn't before. Even though, yeah, their parents weren't perfect and made all kinds of errors. But you start to realize, well, this is not as easy as it looks. (laughs) A lot of smiles around here from the young parents. Hallelujah. But here's the unknown. There are ministries all around the earth, fathers and mothers, apostles, prophets, evangelists. Some have slipped and fallen. Some have fallen upon hard times. Some have made atrocious mistakes. But what were they facing when they made those mistakes? And would we have fared better if we were in their shoes? You'll never know. You'll never know. Is sin unacceptable? Yes, But it says, don't think that you stand unless you fall. Because you don't know what it means to stand for a nation. You don't know what it means to stand for a city. You don't don't know what it means to stand for a church or a region. And many of us don't know what it means to stand for anything but our own lives. Honor, honor, honor. Honor, blessing, honor, blessing. You see, God is wanting to create an upheaval of honor and prayer and faith beginning at the very bottom of the church, the, the newest Christians, the ones that are, that are doing the least, to give honor instead of complaining and accusing those who aren't doing more because if we would honor them, we are casting light upon their lives so that they can see clearer, so that they can do a better job so that then they can be the lead goose and shield us from the wind. It's a, there's an interconnectivity that when we honor, we throw light in the paths of those that are facing the darkness. It only makes sense. This is God's plan. You know, we don't need any massive confessions. Every person I know has failed in this regard. Everyone I know has dropped the ball when it comes to honor. I don't know anybody. Some certainly do it better than others, but every single one of us at some point or another has been willing to uncover the Noahs in our life. The blessing of not doing that is immeasurable. I can't even begin to explain to you what's possible. And if we are going to be an apostolic house, 
if this is going if there's going to be a pillar of light here it's not because we prophesy the best it's not because we have the best singers and the most contemporary sounds it's because of humility and honor humility and honor will preserve us let's stand together I know these are the things that Mark already spoke but the Lord is just prompting me to share this. It's something that happened to me in 2016. I was at a ladies' prayer night, and we were just kneeling before the Lord, and he was handing out gifts, and he said to me, I will give you the gift of humility. And I bowed before the Lord as he was convicting me, showing me the right heart attitude to have towards people. I felt that he said, if I would believe the best about people, extend the benefit of the doubt, not questioning their motives or judging their behavior. If I would keep my thoughts about people in check and not mentally or verbally criticize them, if I would be quick to forgive a wrong done against me, then I would be operating as he requires in humility and in a position to receive favor from both God and man. It was a gift from God and therefore irrevocable. I will always have access to this gift, yet it is conditional in the sense that to use and activate it, my heart and my thoughts must be aligned to the requirements that he set before me. Lord, I just ask that you would give us a heart of humility. God, I ask that you would change the way that we interact in our thoughts and in our heart towards others. God, I ask that you would give us the ability to look upon people with your love and your heart and your desire for them. I think about what Bill Johnson said on a call that I, I listened to. He said he was looking at a magazine, and as he was looking at this magazine, he was kind of having some criticism or judgment towards some people. And so he took that, I think it was Charisma magazine, and he went from the front to the back, slowly, page by page, and if he saw someone on those pages that caused this uh, reaction, even the slightest reaction uh, in his heart, he just stayed on that page and he looked at the person and he would say, God, give me your heart for them. Oh God, that we would have the willingness and the desire to have the right heart towards others so that we can have your heart. Well, I don't think anything else has to be said. I think that was beautiful. God, teach us how to honor. Amen. Honor is a choice with my action and with my voice, right? Something we have been taught since we were kids. I pray the Lord would bless you as you go today. Before you do, I want to read you an interesting fact. It's about the geese. Let's deal with this issue because we need to know, right, Mark? It says, when a flock gets ready to take off and fly away, they will usually all honk at the same time. The female makes the first honk to indicate it's time to go, while the rest of the flock will chime in all together. The female leads the flock away in flights. However, when they're in the air, they all take turns. There you go. 
Be blessed, be encouraged, love one another, honor one another in Jesus' name. Amen.